Good morning. The reading today is Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and you can find that on page 1 of your pew Bibles. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. God, I want to thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for for our congregation and our families. Lord, I, I want to thank you for the country we live in that we're free to worship, free to worship you as we should. Lord, I'd, I'd like you to thank you for, for Cody and, and the message he's going to give us. Please help him deliver the knowledge that you'd like us to, to gain today. But most importantly, Lord, I want to thank you for your word, for your saving word. Amen. Well, 46 years ago this Tuesday, January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States of America... The highest court in our land declared, in the case of Roe v. Wade, that a child in the womb, which was at that time, and still, supposedly, is to be the safest place in the world, was to be a place that was to be considered unhuman, and the child there could be murdered. Thirty-five years ago, on this Sunday... The third Sunday of January, then President Ronald Reagan began the first Sanctity of Life Sunday. And he said this, and I've quoted this for a number of years now, but I think it's important for us to remember. Quote, we have been given the precious gift of human life. Made more precious still by our births in or pilgrimages to a land of freedom. It is fitting then on the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade that struck down state anti-abortion laws that we reflect anew on these blessings and on our corresponding responsibility to guard with care the lives and freedoms of even the weakest of our fellow human beings. Close quote. And so we've done this for a number of years now here at FCF is to take this third Sunday and to preach about what it means to love life and the sin that is abortion. And routinely, out of the 52 or so sermons a year that we have from this pulpit, I think I can say with great certainty, this is the heaviest. There's a lot on the line, is there not? To the tune of 50 plus plus million. The aftermath of what has taken place over the last 46 years is really beyond the ability for us to grasp. I mean, we must be honest about this. When you say a number like 50 plus million, we have no way to objectify that. 
to, to really understand that. I, we, none of us have probably seen 50 million of anything. And if we did, we wouldn't know if we were actually looking at it. But it is something to, to boil that down and to recognize that one in three women, and I think you could probably say with great certainty, one in three men or even more, have been involved in some way in an abortion. So in that case, just take a look to your left and right, and the numbers are pretty strong. That there are people that walk by us and are in our lives every day that have been involved in some way, rubbed up against this thing we call abortion, murder. Scott Klusendorf is the president of the Life Training Institute, and he wrote in an article entitled All We Did Was Survive, and it was published last night on the Desiring God website. I would encourage you to go read it, but let me just quote from the beginning of that article, and this is what he says. The pro-life movement in America seemed in dire straits in 2016, with losses on almost every front. Donald Trump's surprising win appears to have stalled the abortion juggernaut. An escape, however, is not a triumph. Dunkirk was not Normandy. Abortion is here to stay as long as millions of young Christians are uninformed, unequipped, and unconcerned. He goes on in the article to state that much has been done in the last two years and that abortion is on its greatest decline ever. And we praise the Lord for that. But what he's also saying, though, is it's there are still many in um, Churches across our nation that don't give much thought to this. And this is one of the reasons why we preach this type of message. Last year in November, when you graciously allowed us, my wife and I, to go to Israel, we uh, were able to go to the Holocaust Museum. And what struck me when I walked up to that museum that would memorialize the death of millions of Jews under Hitler's regime was not the architecture of the museum or how it was situated in the landscape. All of these things were important. But what struck me was the amount of military personnel that was all over the place. And I asked our guide at that time what was going on with that and he stated that, well, that's this is a routine thing. Every day there's all of these military personnel everywhere. You see, the mandatory military service in Israel requires, in part of that training, is that they bring the trainees to the Holocaust Museum. They want them to know what they're fighting for. They want them to remember why they're alive and are called Jews. They want them to remember how they got there and why their training is so important. And I certainly the Analogies have been made over the years between the Holocaust and abortion, and it's a laughable analogy. It really is, because there's nothing, they're not even close in their scope. Not laughing at either one, but they're not comparable. It's a David and Goliath. And even then, that doesn't describe the disparity between the two. But what can be said is that if this travesty that, travesty that we call abortion was to be ended today, it should never be forgotten. And we will never stop preaching about it. To forget is to eventually repeat. We would like our children, I'm sure, to know that this is something that should be hated and continue to be, to see, to be seen for all that it was and is. 
We have us, we have before us this morning in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, the bedrock foundational word from Holy God on the creation of humanity. And we're going to spend our time this morning asking the word three questions and allowing the word to answer those questions. And those three questions will be the structure by which we approach this passage. Let me give those to you. Question number one, what does it mean to be created? Question number two, what does it mean to be made in his image? And then finally, we'll conclude with what now? Number one, what does it mean to be created? Well, let's look in our Bibles here at verse 27. So God created man. Well, we must understand very quickly that it is God who does the work of creation. You could go slightly to your left in your Bible and a little bit north and see Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God is the one who does the work of creation. Therefore, we would say sim cell research and cloning of humans is wrong because God is the one who does this. Not humanity. Isaiah 40 verse 28. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. What it means to be created is that God is the one who has created you. And therefore, we can say that you're not an accident. That you are designed with intention and specificity. The creator God is a perfect God. He makes no mistakes. There's not a human being that's a mistake on this earth. It's not within his nature or ability to make a mistake. All that he does is perfect. There are no accidents. Well, if God's the one who's doing creation, the created work of humanity, and God is perfect, then, then we can recognize that when God begins the work, creates, and that life begins to grow, that's when life begins. Human life is human from the very beginning. Embryo. Tiny. Life begins at conception. Human beings, whether in embryo or birth, bear the image of God. Scripture tells us this clearly. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. Psalm 139, verse 16, a verse we know well. Your eyes, God's eyes, saw David's, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is the one who creates. God creates life. And life is to be valued and to be precious because God has created it. It's to be honored. Even in its smallest state. What does it mean to be made in his image? Point two. Verse 27. Continuing there. So God created man in his own image. Well, what we certainly can say is that created humanity, mankind, that Mankind is the only one created in the image of God. It's unique to mankind. Whales and lions in Africa or panda bears, wherever they may be, are wonderful, but they don't get preference over human life. Humanity is created in the image of God. 
Humanity, because we're made in the image of God, has dignity, worth, and value. For all, male or female, has dignity, worth, and value. Black, brown, purple, green, white, name your color or race, has value, dignity, and worth. Whether you're in an embryonic state or you're a fully matured adult. Whether you're young or old, whether you're handicapped or healthy. God as the creator making us in his image. Therefore, all humanity has dignity, worth and value. This is one of the reasons why even today in North Korea or in China, when the government imposes upon people a restriction of how many children they can have. And someone has that third child. That the government says they should not have. Who takes them in? Often not, it's the Christian. Who recognizes that child has dignity, worth, and value. That may not be recognized in that country at all times. Well, it also should be noted that made in God's image means that you're male or female. And this is another study for another time, but I would certainly be remiss to say, not to say that it is God glorifying for you men to be more manly and for you women to be more feminine. That is God honoring. What does it mean to be made in his image? Well, ultimately we see even the beginning here that if we're made in his image, only one in our image ultimately his, can be that which saves us from our sin. Salvation from Adam's sin is found only in the perfect image of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Dr. uh, Leanna Wynne, who's now the president of Planned Parenthood, just a few days ago tweeted this, and I felt weird to even quote a tweet from the pulpit, but it's the day and age in which we live. This is what she says, quote, first, speaking of Planned Parenthood, our core mission is providing, protecting and expanding access to abortion and reproductive health care. We will never back down from that fight. It's a fundamental human right and women's lives are at stake. And you want to ask, well, what about the child? They don't have anything at stake. The sin of murder is spread and promoted by the likes of Planned Parenthood, but they're not the problem. The problem is the sinful heart of each and every human being. We have within all of us such a level of selfishness that we will do anything necessary in order to get what we want to the point of murder. Genesis chapter 4 is why we have this passage in our Bibles. It's very clear. That the sin of humanity, the sin of the human heart, fallen from perfect relationship with holy God, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, gets to such an extent very, very quickly, my brother has something that I want, I'll murder him. The problem is our human hearts. The weight of even thinking about abortion on a Sunday morning is, is heavy. This is not a light sermon. Who wants to think about this? I'd be willing to put real, real high odds that there's someone sitting underneath the sound of my voice, and I don't know who you are, that has been involved in some way. Maybe you've never said anything about this to anybody. 
But you've been involved somewhere. I remember a number of years ago walking down the street in Austin with a man I had known for years and him turning to me as we're walking away from a Sanctity of Life march and saying, I assisted my girlfriend. And this man was in his 50s and 60s. So many years ago in getting an abortion. It shocked me. I would have never thought of this man. And, and in fact, the weight of such, uh, of this type of message is the weight, the crushing weight of the reality of sin. And, and if we are at any time pause and stare at any sin, name it, stare at it long enough, the weight of that sin crushes. And which is why we can't do that, because that weight is ultimately the holiness of God pressing down upon our sinful hearts. And we're recognizing we have no ability to carry the guilt of what we're staring at. And so what we must do is then turn and look to Christ who carried it. That is the hope for 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 you this morning if you're hurting. And you've never told anybody. And let me encourage you, tell somebody. Tell a Christian. We, we would love to help you take the gospel and apply it to that hurt which you have been bearing for so many years. The guilt, the shame, the pain of any sin, but specifically this morning abortion, murder, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And therefore, the first step is to confess our sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. The remedy for every sin is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of hope and promise to those who will believe. In that hope and promise is that Jesus Christ took all our sin and all our guilt and all our shame and bore it upon his body on the cross. That he took the responsibility of the punishment of our sin and in his death offers forgiveness. You know, I, I can't, I, none of us can go back and redo our past. But if you're here this morning and you've not, you've not claimed Jesus Christ as your savior, you've not looked to him alone to be the one who can save you from your sin, then let me offer for you the greatest news you can possibly get this morning. Not only can the weight of the shame of guilt from your sin, specifically maybe abortion for you, be lifted this morning, you have the promise of eternal life offered in Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than we could give you. And Jesus Christ offers it for those who repent of their sin and trust him. Have you done that? And this could be the day. Verse 28 in your Bibles, back in Genesis chapter 1. Let's just spend some time now thinking about what now. There's so much more that could be said and probably should be said about what it means to be made in his image or what it means to be created. But let's think about what now. And verse 28 has for us our answer. Quote, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You hear here in this, you hear in this passage a, a delight that creator God has in his creation. Let us make man in our image and then he blesses them. 
That's a sermon in itself. The blessing of God upon his humanity. But notice, he, God commands, God said to them, he commands Adam and Eve with something, and by extension us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and then he gives them a job, subdue it and rule over, and then all of that is based in the work of God for humanity in blessing them. He didn't leave them without the grace to be able to do this work or to be able to be fruitful and fulfill this command. No, he, he didn't bless them. We could go on and say what it means to have dominion and subdue this earth is that we as Christians are to extend the image of God, to extend the image of Jesus Christ to everyone and everywhere. This is the why of why we are to stand as Christian to declare abortion to be wrong, to be murder. It's because everywhere and in every place, the Christian is to stand and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, this is right, and this is wrong according to the word of God. So we declare that. This is wrong. But what now? Well, there's application across the board. So for... The singles, you should be pursuing marriage. And all the studies say millennials aren't. So don't do that. Pursue marriage. Pray for it. Have others pray for it with you. Be ready for it. Marriages, allow the Lord to control the womb. Parents, teach your children. Teach your children what it means That when God says make man in our image after our likeness, what that means in terms of their value and what it means in terms of abortion being wrong. And let's not assume that our children know that. Six years ago, I was teaching about abortion in a small group setting. A young man that I had known for years. Come up in a Christian home. He actually been in the church almost his entire life at that point. Six years ago, this is ten years in our church. And after teaching for a number of hours on this subject, the young man came up to me and stated that he didn't believe that life began at conception. It blew me away. Our children, we can't assume these things. We need to teach it to them. That's one of the things that we do now is we teach our children. Teach these verses. Teach the, take them. Take your children. And I mean even young. Take them to an abortion clinic. Drive by it. Park in front of it. Let them smell the proverbial fires of war against God's work as creator. Teach them that human life begins at conception. That that an embryo is life. Human life. What you're doing is just exposing them to the reality of sin. Which we want to protect our innocent little children from. And yet we need them to understand that Jesus Christ didn't die because they colored out of the lines. But that they sinned. And their sin and their little human heart has all of those tendencies that are right in front of them in that brick place across the street. Vote. Vote for candidates that are pro-life. Be ready to engage. As a church, we should be ready to engage. We should be ready to counsel those who come and are hurting in this way. We should be ready to console those who are Maybe for the first time telling someone, yes, somewhere in my past I was involved in this. 
And we help, we console them, we comfort them through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that is available to them there. Be ready to control. Uh, what I mean by that is, is when, when we are engaging in conversation, are we, are we equipped well enough to be able to, to guide the conversation in a manner that is productive and, and helpful and clear? Do we know our Bibles well enough as it comes to, when it comes to this idea of life and death? What does it mean to declare Jesus Christ as the Savior of mankind? What does it mean to ascribe to the truth of the eternal eradication of our sins by the blood spilt and the body broken for us on the cross? Ultimately, it means that every sin... And we can go down the line, but let's take abortion and let's put a murder and let's think of adultery and let's think of anger and let's think of anxiety and let's think of bitterness. And you can just apply the one that may be most applicable to you that you're fighting against right now. And when we declare Jesus Christ as the Savior of mankind, we're declaring that that sin, every sin, for the Christian is covered and the guilt removed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did this work for us because he's the son of God. So even when we bear up underneath the weight of this sin or our sin, which is one of the reasons why we have a confession of sin in our service, is that we we don't want to cover our eyes from it. We can't bear the weight of it, but we do want to see the reality of it. Ultimately, in order to point to and look toward Christ who covered it, But in all of this, what we're ultimately saying as believers in Jesus Christ is that one day all of this is going to be over. That one day he's going to fulfill his promise to return and he's going to come and all of this death is going to be gone. And all of the shame of our sin is going to be gone. And we're going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. For eternity. That when he comes, he's going to take those that are his to be with him for all of eternity. All of this is going to be over. And for those who he does not know, do not believe in him, then he will judge them accordingly to hell. This is our hope as Christians. This is what we preach, why we preach against abortion. This is why we should ever preach the gospel, is we're preaching the hope that You can be right with eternal God for eternity. That we'll be able to, that you can even today, live eternally in perfect harmony with God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ to take away your sin. Now we think of abortion this morning, but I want to close just with a, a thought. What is your sin that you're struggling with? But before you get too disheartened by it. I want to say this carefully. You you shouldn't rejoice in it, certainly, but before you get too disheartened by it, have you recognized that just like abortion, Jesus Christ can cover that? Maybe you've never been a part of an abortion and you're thinking, well, yeah, he's saying it. I can see how Jesus Christ could cover something so bad as murder, but how could he cover the fact that I got angry five times in five minutes every five days this past week? 
You know, I, how can he cover the fact that I've been struggling with porn for five years? Or you just name it. Well, can, can, can I encourage you this morning? Would you look to Jesus Christ and recognize that he has covered your sin? That he will provide the grace to press against it and fight it. That he has, he has won victory over it. That he's taken the shame of it. And, and, and then in that truth, would you then go to someone and, and let them help you? You're placed in a body. You're placed in a family for a reason. And that family can help you fight against sin. And they can help you to be reminded that Christ has taken that guilt. That he hates the sin, but he has provided the grace to fight against it. They'll help you do that. So often I think we try to bear up underneath the pain of our sin. Thinking that that, that guilt is real. Well, the guilt is real, but the shame has been taken by Christ. The guilt has been eternally taken by Christ. And those who know Christ will be able to help us. Well, are, we, are, we, are we ready as a church for 2019 and, and being able to help those that may come through our doors and be burdened by this? The, the, the weight of their involvement in abortion. Are we ready to, to step up and help the mom center if necessary here in Fredericksburg or whatever it may be? I trust he'll give us the grace to do so. And if you're here this morning and have not trusted Christ, let me yet again say, please, would you turn in repentance and trust to Jesus Christ, saving faith. You might be saved from all your sin. And let me tell you, there's nothing yet again greater that could possibly happen. And you won't know the weight you're bearing until it's been removed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pause for just a few minutes here and we've allowed your scripture to speak to us. Just a short time of study and thought on the murder that is around us, that is in us, the sin of our nation. Father, it's taken its place in our lineage as a nation. It's on our birth certificate as a nation now. That we we were one, we are those who have given themselves to the murder of the unborn. That we do not value life. That we could care less about anyone but ourselves. That is the message of the last 40 plus years that our nation has promoted to the world. What a hopeless and horrible message. But the message that is true and will always be true was true before Roe v. Wade and will be true prayerfully after its end will be the truth that Jesus Christ saves from sin. Our selfishness in this country has manifested itself in abortion. But we could have picked any other way for it to manifest itself and it would still have been done. The human heart, Father, needs to be saved. And we pray that you would do the the work of saving grace in our nation. Father, I pray for the hurting. Those who hurt now and those who may hurt down the road. 
We, we pray, Father, for even the young lady this morning as she sobs on her bedside, having just yesterday murdered the life of her child, and she wants everything possible to reverse what she did. And that pain's not going to go away for her life. Father, would you extend your hand of grace and comfort? We ask that you would allow us as a church to be those who don't forget, those as a church who are ready to assist with the triage that we can only presume will come over the years into the church of those who have such a level of pain they know of no other way to deal with it and maybe, just maybe, the Bible might have an answer. We rejoice to know that it does. We rejoice to know that you've saved us. And that there is no one outside of your saving grace. Father, we ask for help this coming week that we would fight against our selfishness and sin. We would not be content with our sin. We would pursue you and a a stronger relationship with you. Father, we ask for strength even as we leave this place now that Though the weight of the message may be may be heavy, that it is used as simply a catalyst to turn our eyes and be reminded yet again of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to be together. May our time of fellowship here in a few minutes be encouraging and strengthening toward each other as a church. We ask all these things for your glory and in the precious name of Christ. Amen.